Hello and welcome to AA Beyond Belief Podcast. I'm your host, John S. Today I'm speaking with Erica Kay from Kansas City. When I met Erica in March of 2015, she was not at home in AA. The God Talk was driving her away. No more. Today Erica has learned to exist in AA while remaining true to her belief system. Erica Kay, fitting in with traditional AA. Well, hello, Erica. How you doing? Hello, I'm doing good. Thank you for stopping by, and uh, this is this is a nice podcast because uh, this time I'm actually sitting with somebody actually in in my house rather than um, over Skype. So that's kind of nice. Plus, I'm talking to somebody from my home group. Yes, it's very <laughs> nice to be here. Okay. Um, I wanted to have you here, Erica, because I remember when you first came into our group, and I think it was when we were we were pretty early on. I think you probably came in, was it in January or February of 15? About March. Okay, of March 15. of 15. Okay, mm-hmm. and we got started in November of 2014. No, no, August of 2014. So, yeah, so you came pretty early on. Our group was pretty small at the time. Yes. And um, I remember that you talked about having a really hard time in um, AA meetings because of the religious language. And I know that you kind of grew up in a home that I think that was pretty really religiously conservative. And anyway, you had a problem with it, but now you don't so much anymore. And that kind of fascinated me. And it's been fun watching you grow in, in, in your recovery. So I thought that it would be great to have you on here to, to share your story. Um, and usually what I do to start, I just ask people just to kind of give us a little bit of their AA story. You know, what, what, was, what happened? What was it like? What happened? What is it like now? And we'll just kind of take it from there. Okay, sure. So I started drinking a little later than probably a lot of other people do. I was in my mid-20s before I really started drinking alcoholically. But it didn't take long before I realized that my life was unmanageable and I had a problem. And uh, I first discovered AA back in 1997 uh, when I came lived in Florida. And I, um, I knew about AA because I had heard about it in school and so I went and I checked it out and um, I connected right away was saying and I felt really at home I got sober and uh, I stayed sober for uh, eight years and then I moved to Kansas and uh, I didn't uh, I when I lived in Florida I was working the program I had a sponsor I was going to meetings and working the steps and everything and then I moved to Kansas uh, on a job opportunity and I briskly quit working the program I did not get a sponsor here and um, I stayed sober for another four years but um, I was very miserable and I eventually relapsed and relapsed six years ago And um, I had a really hard time getting back. I went through a lot of treatment centers and detoxes. And um, I had a lot of periods of sobriety here and there. Uh, But um, I decided again to come back uh, last February of uh, 2015. Mm -hmm. And um, that's when I just decided my life had become really miserable and uh, alcohol was creating a lot of problems for me I was feeling um, I just didn't want to live anymore I was just merely existing I had no quality of life I just basically wanted to die and um, 
So I just reached a point of hopelessness, and I decided mm-hmm. enough was enough. I kind of got sick and tired of getting sick and tired, and that's when I came back to the program again. Did you come straight to our group? No, I did not. I actually didn't even know there was agnostic AA. Mm-hmm. Um, I Initially, I started going to uh, some other traditional groups around the area, mm-hmm. and um, I was really frustrated because... Um, when I was in the program during the time I was sober for 12 years, if you would have asked me, I would have affiliated myself as a Christian and said that I believe in God. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't know that my heart was ever really in it. I think I was just kind of going through the motions because right. that's what I thought you had to do. So when I came back, I was really in a quandary because... During the six years, I actually deconverted from Christianity and became an atheist. Okay. And because of all my prior experience in AA, I really didn't know how I was going to work this program as, as, as an atheist because mm-hmm. I had always heard you have to believe in God and a, or a higher right. power of some sort. And Erica, didn't you grow up in a family um, that was very um, religious or, or fundamentalist type? Religion? I did. I grew up in a, an extremely strict, sheltered, fundamentalist Christian home okay. um, where I was um, basically um, bombarded with um, a lot of ideas from the Bible, such as you're going to go to hell for this and that. I had to go to church all the time. I really couldn't do anything. Uh, I was very, very sheltered, and everything was considered evil and of the devil. And um, was, uh, you know, it was basically forced down my throat Mm -hmm. and um, the fire and brimstone sort of thing Mm -hmm. was uh, forced down my throat. And um, I started kind of rebelling against that a little bit in my teens. Mm -hmm. Um, but not, not entirely. Um, I also became at one point kind of just to piss off my mother, Mm -hmm. I became a Catholic (laughs) because she always told me that Catholics were going to go to hell. Right. Okay. Part of this like rebellion thing in me, it's like I, I wanted to, um, you know, show her, you know, do something to rebel against her. So I became Catholic. I, at first I was very drawn to it though. Um, because it seemed very different than my upbringing of the fire and brimstone. It is. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. So I, I kind of, uh, went back and forth between Protestant Catholic for many years. And so before you got, even got into your, to AA, you, you kind of had this struggle then you, with, um, Deconverting, as you put it, deconverting from Christianity to be, being atheist. And did you get a lot of pushback from your family? Was that a, a difficult thing with your family, or? Well, I no, because um, my father was deceased at okay. the time, and my mother was in a nursing home, but okay. she lived in Oregon, and uh, she wasn't really a huge part of my life at the time. Okay. Um, what ended up happening was I went back to college in my mid thirties. Mm-hmm. And when I went to college, um, I started to learn to think more critically okay. because yeah. I had always been told, right. you know, this is what we believe. And I just never questioned it because when you grow up in that kind of faith, even to question it is considered a sin. Okay. So I never really questioned it. I just kind of, 
you know, went along with it because that's what I had always been told. Mm -hmm. But when I went back to college and they taught me to learn to think more critically, Mm -hmm. to examine evidence and to do research and don't just believe what someone tells you, Mm -hmm. look for um, the validity and reliability of sources and things like that. And that got me to start questioning and thinking and challenging those beliefs that I had been raised with. And when I really put them under tight scrutiny, they just didn't make sense to me anymore. And I just couldn't continue to follow something that didn't make sense to me. All right. So here it is now. We're, like you said, February of 2015. Mm -hmm. And you started going to these uh, groups here in, in the Kansas City area, the traditional AA groups. What kind of problems were you having there? Um, Well, initially, a lot of um, frustration because I'm hearing you have to believe in God. You have to believe in a higher power. That's the only way that you can stay sober. And I just didn't believe that. And I couldn't make myself believe it mm -hmm. no matter how hard I tried. And so I really, I was very scared because I wondered how am I going to stay sober um, I also encountered a lot of a lot of feelings of anger um, towards you, or that you had. No anger that I had toward uh, the people because um, it was such a trigger for me because it just brought me back to my childhood. Sure. And so hearing people share in meetings about you know the dogmatic beliefs that I had been raised with, you know similar type of beliefs right. that you couldn't challenge. It really triggered a lot of anger in in me, and sure. it was very hard initially for me to even sit through meetings where God was even mentioned. I remember many meetings where I just had to walk out because I was just so angry that I couldn't deal with it. Yeah. And um, So this is pretty frustrating because you were wanting to get sober and you knew that AA worked for you before. Exactly. Now, the first time you went to AA, I think you already told me, you were just kind of going with the flow. So you were kind of, you don't know, I, I, you believed or didn't believe, you just kind of went with the religious stuff? I did. I kind okay. of, um, I sort of did the fake it till you make it thing. Right. Okay. <laughs> I think I was doing that for like 25 years. So. <laughs> fake it till you make it. And, you know, I just felt like no matter how much I tried to get in touch with this higher power, it always seemed to elude me. Like I never okay. felt that connection that other people talked about. Okay. But, but, the, I, but this time you come back and you just weren't able to do that. You didn't want to do that. I just didn't want to Because you were do comfortable with your belief system. I was very comfortable with my belief system, my new belief system. And uh, I just, it, I didn't, it didn't feel true to me. And I had to remain true to myself right. and what I believe. See, that's what I ran into as well. Now, I didn't grow up in a, in a Christian home or in a religion at all. Um, AA was my religion. I came in fairly young and I didn't have any kind of religious background, but I bought the program Hook, Line, and Sinker. But when I finally realized that for me, that I am an atheist and I didn't believe in the supernatural stuff, then um, I had to reinterpret AA. And um, I, it was difficult to do in, in the traditional meetings for me anyway. And still, it still is. It's one reason I admire you so much because you, you, you are going to traditional meetings today, and I, I still can't do that. But, yeah, anyway, so I can relate to that. Um, so what I did, I went off and started an agnostic group. You started coming to our group. When did you yes. start? Why did you start coming to our group? How did you find out about it? Well, initially in my very early sobriety within the first probably 60 days, I was trying out a lot of different groups in the area because I was trying to find a good fit. Right. And so one day I just happened to be scrolling on the website and I saw this We Agnostics group Mm -hmm. and it just, 
Um, it was like my ears perked up. And I'm like, <laughs> hmm, what is this? Uh, uh, this sounds interesting. And I thought, I'm going to check this out because I don't know what this is, but it sounds interesting if it has we agnostics. Yeah. So that's kind of what uh, what brought me to your grail. So you saw it on the um, AA website, the, the yes, Kansas City AA website. On the inner group or website, okay. yes. All right. Mm-hmm. So you weren't quite sure what it was because it sounded interesting, so you came to check it out. I did. Okay. And then, then what happened? What did you think? What happened? It was like coming home. I felt it was such a different experience to me, and it was like a big weight off my shoulders because for the first, you know, couple of months, I really uh, struggled with trying to come up with some version of a higher power right. that was going to be acceptable to me. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and, um, you know, I at, at one point I was using the ocean. Right. Um, you know, at one point I was using the, like the spirit of the universe. Uh-huh. And all, all of that to me is just such hocus pocus. You know, I'm a very factual, logical, analytical type of a person. And so... Right. Um, you know, I need something that is logical and functional for me in order to, um, in order to, that, that's going to work for me. And um, all of those, um, you know, tolerable higher powers, they just were not working for me. Mm-hmm. And um, I, um, I just did not uh, know you know, really what to do. But when I found the agnostic group, I was like, wow, this is, this is really cool. There, there, there's, there are people who have stayed sober for many, many years and they don't believe in God. I thought that was very refreshing and it gave me some hope that things, that things could be um, different for me, that I could stay sober in this program without that belief. And what's nice about it, too, is even if someone did believe in God, it's still okay. Exactly. Everybody's allowed to do their own thing. That's another thing that I really have liked about the is they're very inclusive. Um, right. We don't exclude anybody. Um, right. No one tells what... you what you must believe. No one tells you you must find a higher power. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's a <You>, big difference. <laughs> right. They tell you that you know, basically, it's you know whatever works for you. Right. And if a, if a higher power, if God works for you, then that's fine. Um, if it doesn't, that's fine too. Yeah. And we always had step meetings, and I remember that um, you really latched on to Maria Hornbacher's book, uh, non uh, waiting, non believers higher power. Yes. And um, did that that book mean a lot to you? Did it make a difference in how you thought about the program? It did, um, because I was also really struggling with the steps, because the steps, you know, as they're written, are very um, focused and centered on God, and um, there again, they seem like a lot of hocus-pocus to me, and um, I really liked her book a lot, because it it was able to, she was able to put them in much more of a workable uh a workable situation for right. me to, uh, to you know, more functional and right. to where I could, felt like I could work them more from that standpoint. Um, and yeah, so, yes, I, really I love I love her book, and and I, I remember um, during those step meetings, we read from her book. It seemed like all the time, everybody was yeah. reading from her book a lot. We did. Yeah. So, and was it that was it right after you got introduced to that book that you actually wrote your own version of the steps? Yeah, it was um, very shortly after that, and I kind of took from uh, her book as well as a a few other um, secular books, mm-hmm. uh, 
12-step books, uh, things I found online and other mm -hmm. books, and I sort of used them all to come up with a version that uh, is functional for me. Yeah. And um, because that's another thing that I really struggled with was that, you know, how how to work those steps with all of the God language mm -hmm. in them. And I really complicated it. Right. Um, I mean, you know, like with step three, I can't even tell you how long I spent. I remember you talking about that. Trying to figure out how to do step three. Right. And, uh, you know, it, I just really way over complicated them. And when I was able to put them in my own format, mm -hmm. functional, but still kept, kept the essence of the step. Right. Um, it, it made all the difference in the world. So how did you come around on step three? What did you finally figure out for yourself? Basically, I just looked at step three as making a decision mm -hmm. to accept help right. in the program of AA. That's how I see it. It's funny that you that we focus on the decision. A lot of people focus on the God made exactly. a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God. And I guess... You know, if you believe in God, that might be the most important part because he'll take care of the rest of it, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but we're right. looking further down the road. We have to make a decision to do the things that follow, right? The, the steps four and five and all of the rest of them. Yes. And I think that's really what they meant. You know, it's a, it is a decision. It's a decision step. It's about, mm -hmm. you know, okay, we have a problem. Now, what are we going to do about it, you know, yeah. if anything? And I had to basically, after realizing I had a problem, I had to... Uh, come to accept that there, you know, I needed outside resources. I've always kind of prided myself on being an independent person and I can handle my own stuff, but my alcohol problem was one thing I could never handle. And so I, in step two, I was able to um, come to believe that I needed some resources outside of myself. Exactly. Yeah. And, um, it and seems then, pretty simple, doesn't it? Yeah. And then once you're able to kind of simplify it, it makes all the difference in the world for yeah, you. Yeah, it really does. And, you know, I just... And what's funny to me too, Erica, is what you're doing is the very same thing that the believer is doing. Exactly. Totally the same thing. It's just that I guess that the power that they get to do the steps is coming from their faith in a God, whereas the power or encouragement or whatever you might call it that we're getting is coming from each other or exactly. from whatever other source that we got to um, yeah basically those who have struggled with the same problem that i have yeah yeah i draw strength from them well i remember when you came in with those steps and i was so happy um <laughs> i had the same experience i wrote i wrote the steps out of my own language too and it made a tremendous difference for me it made the steps really come come to life because when you look at them in that 1930s language that was written by some people all that time ago who were really coming from a religious background, you know, we have to, it, everyone has to interpret them anyway. But when we actually stop and think about it ourselves and actually write it down, it just, it makes it more real, I think. Um, in that sense, I think that us, us um, agnostics um, have a little advantage because we really do have to internalize these steps a lot and ask ourselves what do they mean to me more importantly than you know that's the most more thing what do they mean to us as individual people not what do they mean to bob and bill <laughs> <laughs> right yeah exactly and, and and do they mean the exact same thing to us as bob and bill mm -hmm. <laughs> actually i think bob and bill both felt differently about it too. probably yes yeah. <laughs> So you came to our group exclusively for a while, didn't you? I did. Initially, I 
what just was so angry and fed up with uh, traditional AA after struggling so much that I just I couldn't even deal with regular AA anymore. Uh, and I just came exclusively to agnostic meetings for um, about two months, I yeah. would say, about two months. Yeah. You came pretty much every single one of our meetings. Just about every one, yes. Yeah. 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 And I was wishing at the time that they had agnostic meetings like every day because initially I kind of right. needed more meetings That's right. than just, you know, I remember. The, we only had like three a week and, yeah. uh, you know, I needed one every day. And so uh, it was really, really frustrating. And then it was funny because then by the time we had got all the meetings up to a meeting every yeah. day, I was comfortable once again in traditionally. Now tell me about that because I th- that's really interesting to me because you I remember you very very well when you came, started coming to our group and you were very uncomfortable with regular AA. It was almost like you were it was almost like you were traumatized by I felt it seemed like to me that you were traumatized by by religion and you felt like they were trying to cram this down your throat again. And then next thing I know, you're going to this group and you're you're giving somebody rides to meetings and you're kind of getting comfortable. Do you want to kind of talk about how that transition happened? Sure. I um, yeah i I think it was really like a process. It was it was just a process of uh, you know kind of forcing myself to go to the regular AA meetings and. Um, it's kind of hard to explain. It was just, I had a lot of anger. I was full of a lot of anger. And, uh, but I felt like the only way that I was going to be able to move forward and get over that anger was for me to kind of face it in a way. Mm-hmm. And it was like part of a, part of the healing process, I, I, I believe, was uh, that I was able to go and listen to um, the people in traditional AA talk about God and it just over time I just learned to accept that have more of a live and let live attitude mm-hmm. where you know I can listen to them and and I can be okay with what they believe but I can still remain true to my beliefs mm-hmm. and in my home group it took I kept quiet about my uh, lack of belief for uh, quite a while until I hit about one year of sobriety. I was not even open about my lack of belief. I kind of sat back and um, I was I was fearing judgment and I didn't want I was fearing that I wasn't going to be accepted and so I um, kind of kept quiet and sort of went along with the group and then eventually I became more I opened up and I shared my beliefs with them but it's it's something did you do that, that erica at was it a speaker meeting that you that you did that at were, were you speaking to celebrate your anniversary is that where you did that uh no it wasn't at my anniversary it was something that sort of started coming out it evolved i okay. i started opening the doorway right. i mentioned maybe a little bit at one meeting and then in, and then right. at each meeting i would get a little bit more bold and right. and what i would say and um it was something that kind of evolved over time. I didn't just come right back because I didn't want to be that girl that everybody was saying, oh, she's just this, you know, troublemaker girl right. coming in here with these, you know, contrary beliefs, <laughs> <laughs> you know. So I think it was kind of important that um, that I sort of let that evolve right. naturally o- over time right. rather than trying to force it and just... Gave you a chance to get comfortable with it, but also gave other people a chance to kind of get used to... 
Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And and it and and it, it it's hard to explain how, but in in going to traditional AA, I have been able to come to more of an acceptance mm-hmm. of, and also I've been able to see that. You know, not everybody who believes in God has the interpretation that I was raised with, or that right, right. You know, my the, my, my mother's version, and uh, so I've been able to become much more of a tolerant and understanding person. Um, and I've been able to have friends in the program who don't share, who or have opposite beliefs than me, mm-hmm. and we're able to um, have have a friendship even though we don't agree. And that's something that I wouldn't have believed a year ago that I would have ever been able to be friends with somebody that was, had such opposite beliefs. Yep. Okay. So, um, the groups that you were, you are going to, and we're going to, are those, are those, because most groups right here close the Lord's prayer. Not all of them do, but most of them do. Do these do the Lord's prayer with, while holding hands at the end of the meeting? Yeah, two of the groups that I go to now, they do uh, the Lord's Prayer holding hands at the end of the meeting. Mm-hmm. And for the longest time, I would hold hands out of respect for the group, mm-hmm. but I would not say the Lord's Prayer. Right. Okay. <laughs> um, then uh, I finally got to a point where I was willing to say the Lord's Prayer only because I just wanted to show respect for other people's right, beliefs even right. though it doesn't mean anything to me right. but i i i don't want i wanted to show that i have respect for your process and right. that's your process right um and, and so you care about the people you know that's what i find when i um the only time i ever do the lord's prayer and i don't say it but i do hold hands with them is when i go to um, the area assembly and they have i might i might go to i don't know three or four different um committee meetings and it, like each one lasts for about an hour, and at the end of every committee meeting, they hold hands and say the Lord's prayer. Right. So we'll say the Lord's prayer about four or five times during the day. Right. You know? oh, That's kind of crazy. No, I'm not going to say. No, no, I won't say that I'm not somewhat uncomfortable with it. Right. But I have definitely become a little bit more comfortable with it. Yeah. Um, when I chair a meeting, though, um, the prayer that is said at the end is left up to the leader of the group, and so ah, okay. if I cl- if I lead the meeting, I will close with the serenity well, prayer. Nice. Um, if that's my choice, but, um, would they let you close with like the responsibility pledge? <laughs> <laughs> I suppose if, I don't know. I mean, I suppose maybe it would be a very novel, uh, yeah. idea, but, but like you were saying though, um, cause when I, when I would do that at the area assembly and at district committee meetings, I did it because I like the people. I care about the people and, mm. You know, I respect their belief, you know, and I, and I, I didn't want to stand outside while and, and set myself apart from them. And exactly. it's, that's more difficult, I think. But uh, after my last experience at the area assembly, I don't think I'm ever going to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not that anything, I still love the people and everything, but for me now, if I go to the area assembly, that's more kind of like a place where I think I need to make a statement that um, I don't think the Lord's Prayer belongs in, in AA. Uh, I totally agree. I don't think that it does either because it's a 
basically it's a religious prayer and um but groups are autonomous and a group can do it so if i mm -hmm. went to a group for a meeting i might be more likely to you know at least hold hands with them and stand silently i have no problem doing that but at the area assembly where they really are there to represent where we we are really trying to what we do there is we send a delegate to the to the to the General Service Conference to represent all of our groups in Western Missouri. Oh, wow. And I think if, if you're part of something that's representing multiple groups within Alcoholics Anonymous, then, you know, we should respect all groups. And um, you can't get you can't get the group conscience of all the groups, but anyway, that's just kind of my my feeling on that. So I don't yeah. say it with them anymore, but I'm not going to ask yeah. that they not say it. But I'm not going to say it anymore. Exactly. So yeah. you did what? Did anybody give you a hard time when you're coming out as an atheist? Or? You know, not not as much as I would have expected. I I I have noticed that there are there actually there's a lot of people that were were like me. They're like me. They didn't even know there was an agnostic AA group and mm -hmm. they're quite fascinated by the mm -hmm. idea and they seem somewhat open and receptive to the idea. Um, I I don't know that I've really encountered I've never really encountered anybody that directly confronted me, right. but I have encountered people in meetings who will still, you know, if I share something, they'll still um read something from the big book that quotes God and how right. It's um, mandatory that you believe in God or, or else you won't be able to stay sober. And I've just learned to let them be and um, let them say what they want to say and be tolerant and respectful of what they say. But it doesn't deter me and, sure. and, and my beliefs and, and how I feel and my healing process. Yeah. So and You're setting a good example, too. I mean, we need, we need to do that. We need more of us out there at regular meetings. Um, you know, the group in Orlando, I, um, there's a guy, you might meet him in Austin. His name's Mikey, Mikey J. Okay. And um, he helped start the Orlando group, um, our mostly agnostic group of drunks. And they've been, they've been meeting for a long time, I think. But anyway, um, they have something that, I can't remember what they call it, but what they do is, like, once a week, they take everybody from the group goes out together and they go to a traditional meeting. Because oh, they think they think it's important that we are comfortable in traditional meetings. Because you never know when the time might come. Like, you, you, you did it because we didn't have that many meetings. You needed more meetings. You needed to be comfortable in traditional meetings. Mm -hmm. And Mikey says, well, the same thing applies. You know, you might be traveling out of town or something. You know, what if I'm out of town somewhere and I need a meeting and there is not an agnostic meeting and I should, I should be comfortable or learn how to be comfortable in a traditional AA meeting. So, exactly. yeah, I think there's some importance to that. Plus, it, it shows that other people in the room, too, who might not be believers, mm -hmm. that, hey, it's okay. You can be, you can be yourself. And also, I I guess another reason, another really major reason why I still go to traditional AA is because I think that there's probably a lot more people that are like me out there than um, than maybe I'm I'm aware of mm -hmm. that are just silently sitting there going along with it. But it's not really what they believe, but they're too scared so to too. speak up. I think so, too. And by me being there and being the example that, hey, you can do this as an agnostic or right. an atheist. You don't, you don't have to believe in God to right. get sober and be sober. And you can have a happy and joyous free life. Mm -hmm. um, 
sober without that belief. And I want to be that example for other people that might be struggling. Yeah. Um, it's something I feel really passionate about because, you know, my, my sobriety is a matter of life and death to me. And mm-hmm. if I hadn't found a way to work this program as an atheist, I'm not sure I would have stayed sober and I'm not sure I would have lived very much longer. Right. And so it's something that I feel really passionate about. I sometimes wonder how many atheists and agnostics out there come to traditional AA, hear all the God stuff and leave and and never get sober. Right. I think there's, I think there could, I think there, I think there's a lot of them. And you know, there's a lot of people that just don't necessarily even identify as an atheist or agnostic. They're just not particularly religious. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just think it's bizarre, you know, when they when they see when they see it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have a theory that most people in AA, and I could be wrong on this. But this is just from my observation from going to that one group I went to for 25 years. Most of the people in that group were not churchgoers. Mm-hmm. The only exception would be um, some of the Catholics, where it was more of a traditional thing for them to do, to be part of the um, ceremony or whatever, the, the ritual and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But most people were not particularly religious as far as having deeply held fundamentalist Christian-type beliefs, yet they were religious about AA itself. Yes. But they, I don't think they had ever really recognized that or said anything about it. But I think what happens is, like, with with me, I just kind of fell into it. I said, okay, I don't know about Okay, whatever, I'll pray. I'm sure I'm getting some kind of psychological benefit from it. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of learn to say whatever people are saying that, you know, people kind of approve of. And I think people kind of fall into that. But So maybe some of these people you're talking to are like that. They're not, you know, maybe they're not atheists or whatever. They don't know. They're just not particularly religious. Mm-hmm. And they think, well, that's kind of a novel idea. <laughs> right. <laughs> we could just do this never, uh, without the praying and everything. Right. It never dawned on them. And I, you know, I view the AA program, I think you've mentioned it too, that I view it more of a program. And they even say it's a program of action. Right. It's not a program of belief. And I believe that, you know, I stay sober through my actions and through the support of the fellowship of AA and um it always baffles me when i hear people say you know i go to meetings i talk to my sponsor i work the steps i do service work i read the right. and but god keeps me right. sober right. you know it's like hmm okay <laughs> <laughs> you say so but yeah. um you know i and that may, maybe that works for them, but um, it doesn't work for me. And um, I, I know I have to take the action, and um, that's that's what's worked. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I agree. That's how exactly how it is for me. And I think that I think the belief part is the least important part, mm-hmm. um, unless you want to, you know, maybe just believe. I guess having faith or belief that. That you can that there's a solution for your problem that's important because without that you know what motivates us to even do anything so we've got to have some hope that there's help hope for us you know but once we have that it's all up to us to take whatever action even if we believed in God they even said they even say you know faith without works is dead so right. you know if you you can have all the faith you want but you know God isn't going to do anything for you if you don't do the work too right that's right <laughs> God wants you to work yes <laughs> so obviously you must be also think that whatever I don't know I should, what am I saying I shouldn't make fun of the of them anyway so now you're you're very comfortable at your groups and you're um, you're still coming to our groups though too mm-hmm. and how do you feel about 
AA overall right now in agnostic AA? Uh, overall, I think AA is an awesome program. Uh-huh. Um, whether it's traditional or agnostic, I know personally I feel uh, more comfortable and I feel a better sense of belonging in the agnostic meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I'm I also um, feel really satisfied and happy that I've been able been able to make some sort of peace with traditional AA and yeah. found a way to still go there. Um, I think there's so much about the AA program that is really helpful and beneficial. And um, they say, you know, take what you like and leave the rest. And that's, that's right. pretty much what I do. Yeah. And um, So you're going to go to Austin? I'm thinking about it. I haven't fully decided yet. Okay. But I think it would be a great experience. I would yeah. Love to... Yeah. It would be pretty cool. I hope you can go. I, I was at um, Santa Monica in 2014. Oh. And um, it was the most, really the most amazing um, AA experience I ever had to meet so many people from really the world over that were like, like us. Um, and then, you know, um, we stayed in touch after that, after that convention. And since that time, oh gosh, I think there's been like more than 200 meetings start. Oh wow! Since November 2014. That's a, that's really remarkable. Mm-hmm. That that and so now, when we get together in Austin, I'm figuring there's going to be a lot more people than what we had in Santa Monica. We had like 300 people in Santa Monica. Um, I don't know. It could, maybe we have like 500, 600. I don't know. But it seems to me, when I think about just our particular situation here, when I went. Um, in 2014, I was the only person from Kansas City. Oh, wow. And, you know, it's possible we could have, like, about seven people from Kansas City go down there mm-hmm. this time, if you go. And um, then there's some people from Lawrence that are thinking about coming. So we're looking like maybe ten or more people from this area, from Kansas to Missouri. Wow. that's yeah. great. Yeah. And so if you take that you, and you look at other cities that might be having the same experience where maybe one or nobody ever showed up, mm-hmm. and now you can have several people. So, yeah, it'll, it'll be pretty cool. Yeah, I'm kind of excited. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you very much. This has been a great conversation. I think that this is important for people to know that, um, yeah, we can we can coexist with traditional AA. And, and I think that um, getting out there in the groups and educating people like you are, because they're getting to know about agnostic AA through you. You know, you're the example for them. And um, that's, that's important. You know, that's how I think it's... We have far more in common than we than, than we have um, that, that makes it makes us different. So. Exactly. All right. Well, thank you, Eric. I appreciate it. Well, that's it for another episode of AA Beyond Belief, the podcast. We'll be back next week speaking with Pat N, one of the founders of the Secular AA Convention in Olympia, Washington, and a featured speaker at Waftiak 2016 in Austin, Texas, this November. I think you'll enjoy that program. Until then, you all take care and be well.